you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Tim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Thompson Pinder. And I'm so excited to announce that in August, we will be having the 400th episode of the Author to Authority Podcast. And in celebration of that, I have decided to do the top 25 episodes of the Author to Authority Podcast for the whole summer. And we will celebrate the 400 about mid-August, so there'll be a couple of episodes after that. And I chose these episodes because they were the ones that I just personally felt were the ones that gave tremendous amount of value that were going to help you as an entrepreneur, professional, a speaker, a coach to move your business forward. These were value-packed episodes that are just going to give you action steps that are just going to really propel you to the next level. So I'd love for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this top 25 episode. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today... We are covering a topic that I don't think we've ever covered from this vantage point before. And we're going to be talking about the brand SERP guy, Jason Barnard. And when I was talking to him and looking at his stuff and checking out his interviews, I was amazed at his knowledge on how to use Google. And I was just so impressed that I'm like, I've got to have this, I've got to have this gentleman on the show. So welcome, Jason. Thank you so much, Kim. It's delightful to be here. So Jason is an author and digital marketing consultant. He specializes in brand SERP, S-E-R-P, what appears when your audience Googles your brand name and knowledge panels, what Google understands about who you are and what you do. Now, he came from playing the Cavern Club in Liverpool to touring Europe, playing double bass in a punk folk group, to playing the role of a cartoon blue dog in a TV series, and to remote working from a tropical island in the Indian Ocean. So definitely want to hear a little bit more about that. Jason, take a few minutes and just introduce yourself and share a little bit more about your story with us. The way you put it sounds like a really interesting story. We can add to that now and say I'm now in Oxford using Oxford University Libraries to write and research a book. And a lot of my life has just been about what's a fun idea. 
And I don't need to be at Oxford. I don't need to use the libraries, but it's a lot of fun and it makes me feel slightly more intelligent, as I said earlier on. And the whole process of my life has been, what do I really want to do? What do I feel would be nourishing for me as a human being? And what would make the world a slightly better place? And playing in a punk folk group, obviously punk folk is kind of quite aggressive, but it made a lot of people happy. We ended up with quite big crowds. We'd get two to 500 people. And making people happy, having a good time at a gig was really, really, really positive for me. I enjoyed it immensely. And then being a blue dog in a cartoon was for small children. So it was all about educating small children between the ages of three and six, teaching them about the world through the eyes and the actions of a blue dog and a yellow koala in a cartoon. And I actually got into the internet through the blue dog and the yellow koala because we had a website that was phenomenally successful. By 2007, it was the 10,000th biggest site in the world. And it was just for kids. And we were competing with PBS and Disney and the BBC. It was it was really exciting. And it was 100 million page views a month. It was 5 million visits a month. It was huge. And what was great is we were living on a tropical island in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Madagascar with a team of four people running this site. And I was being a blue dog and my wife was being a yellow koala. What a lot of fun that was. And so that then led me to the new career, which was when I pivoted from that and became a digital marketer. If you searched my name on Google, it would say Jason Barnard is a blue dog. And that's not professional. And I realized the result for my name on Google is my business card. When I was pitching to clients, they would Google me, even during a Zoom meeting or after a meeting. And so I worked to get it to change from Jason Barnard is a blue dog to Jason Barnard is a credible authoritative expert in Google. And it worked. That is awesome. I love that. I love that. So Jason, I love the fact that you didn't have any problems just switching your life around. You you completed one segment of your life and you're like, I need to do something else. And I think yeah. sometimes as as entrepreneurs, we're afraid to switch things up. We think we have to stay in that one same thing forever. And yeah. and you don't, you learn, you grow, you change. And sometimes you switch to something completely different, but you take the lessons that you've learned along the way and you apply them. Yeah, that's brilliantly put. I think it is, as you say, people think, a lot of people think, I can't do that because it's too different or I can't do that because I'm in my safe place, my safe lane and it's working okay. And it actually, each of those changes wasn't a choice. It was forced on me. And it, it was just what I was doing was stopped very abruptly in, in, in each case. And I just had to decide what I would do next. And I think what was lovely is I could sit and think, well, what do I want to do next? And rather than what do I need to do next to make a living? And to be honest with you, I was talking to my daughter the other day and she was saying, I remember as a child, there were periods when we had lots of money and nobody ever worried about money. And there were periods when we had to worry about money and we, we didn't have that much to spend. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of it, I think, as well, as you have to be prepared to go through those lean periods. And if you're not prepared to do that, then then stick to your safe lanes because because the lean periods are always going to come and they're always going to be there. And somebody else asked me about running my own company and saying, I don't have the the motivation to get up every morning and do it. And I would be worried constantly about the income. And I get that. And I think it takes a specific kind of person Mm -hmm. not to worry about it. And if you're going to worry about it all the time, you'll make yourself ill, you get an ulcer and you won't sleep 
So I think you have to be honest with yourself about what you're willing to put with in terms of lean periods and worry about income. You know, it's one of those times for me right now because I just spent I spent the whole summer getting ready to move across the country. We had lived in the same house for 30 years. I had about six weeks to pack a house I had lived in for 30 years, sell that house, buy a new house across the country. And so, you know, my business just kind of stalled out because I wasn't really working too much on it. And, you know, I've learned over the years, you do go through lean periods and even sometimes just the slick cyclical nature of your business that certain times a year your business is going to be more busy than others and there will be slower times of the year when you know the business isn't coming in as much and almost every business has those types of seasons throughout the year most people i know are not interested in starting to write a book the end of november beginning of december it's not on their game plan now january oh is january the fresh start the new year the fresh start right? Christmas is done and over with all the visiting, all the holidays, all the taking a break. It's a fresh start. You know, it's a good time to start writing a book and it's winter Mm. depending on where you live in the world. Right. Here in North America, well, Canada and the Northern part of us it's winter. Sometimes you don't have much else to do. Right. Very good point. Well, in Mauritius in January, it was the middle of summer. So we'd be sitting on the beach. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty nice. That, it was that's a very one of my bucket list things to do is to go someplace hot for two weeks in the middle of a winter. Oh, right. And you haven't done that? Not yet. Oh, right. I went there and stayed 13 years. And <laughs> when you go to Mauritius, what's lovely about a tropical island is it's warm all year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also quite boring. And you get up in the morning and think, oh, not another really sunny day, which is terribly ironic. And the other thing is in Mauritius, at least, we didn't really have seasons and we didn't have different hours or different darkness hours. It was pretty much gets light at 6 a.m., gets dark at 6 p.m., day in, day out throughout the year. And the weather, hot to very hot, was your choice. You know, it's funny. Being a Canadian, one of the things we talk about a lot is weather. Because (laughs) here in Canada, it can change 20 degrees in a day. You can go from wearing a winter coat and pants in the morning to be in shorts and a t-shirt in the afternoon. And so, you know, in Canada, the weather's always talked about because it is always changing and you just never know what you're going to get. Right. Okay. And the English are the same with the weather and talking about it all the time. So similarities there. But yeah, and now I'm in Oxford writing a book at the wrong time of year because I'm not supposed to be writing a book at this time of year, according to your theory in November. No, no, you don't start writing a book at this time of year. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not cheating then. That's good news. You're not cheating. It's just, you know, when you look at it business-wise and I look at my clients, you know, most of my clients are entrepreneurs, you know, professional speakers and coaches. At this time of the year, they're just focusing on getting through everything So they can kind of take that Christmas break. That's a really good point. I know. Mean, uh, I think I've taken on too much, but that's a story for another day. And I, I was, I was looking at the title from author to authority. I find that really intriguing because I published my first book in January of this year mm-hmm. and it sold 500 copies, which is reasonable. Didn't make mm-hmm. me any money, but it has made me a recognized authority. Yes. Both in the eyes of my audience or my industry, but also by Google. It's been hugely helpful in getting Google to understand my topical authority on 
brand SERP's search engine results page for a brand name. And so the book in and of itself is not a great business move in terms of it took me six months and made me 500 times a couple of dollars, so a $1,000, let's say, from sales through Amazon, self-publishing. But it's brought me a lot of authority and a lot of business thanks to that authority. Yeah, you know, people ask me, you know, what what kind of ROI can I expect from publishing a book? And I said, don't expect to make money from book sales because yeah. that's not what you use the book for. Like you said, people see you differently as soon as you become an author. Become yeah. a more credible expert than someone who's not an author. And it's mm. not true. It's a perception. It is. But my thing is, why not go with the perception? A hundred percent. And a lot of a lot of life is about perception. I mean, it isn't about getting more contacts necessarily, but closing more deals more easily. And yeah. from a Google perspective, if you look at the brand SERP, what, what people see when they search your name, because Google understands books very well, it will understand the author. And that means that writing a book and publishing it and putting it on Google Books will mean that Google will naturally and easily be able to represent you to your audience when they Google your name correctly around the topic of that book. So you just said something really interesting there that I had never thought of before. See, my books are on Amazon, but they're not on Google. And I'm, you just gave me something there. I need to, I'm rebranding myself because my story was I started writing books back in about 2012 when I was in right. network marketing to teach people how to network market. And a lot of times with my Google now is when people Google me, that's what they're seeing and that's not who I am anymore. So I think I need to get my new books up on Google so that it'll kind of replace those other ones. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of those other books because they mm. still sell. They're making me a little bit of money, but it's not who I want to be seen as. Right. And it's part of my history of who I am. Those were the first books that I wrote. Right. Yeah. And a hundred percent. And the thing about it is you don't get rid of the books. They're part of your history. They're part of your story. And one thing that is important and we're doing it for a client right now is that he has written, I think, 14 or 15 books, and the wrong ones are coming up on Google when yes. people search his name. And he's saying, that makes me look not as credible as I would like to because they're children's books. I want to become more credible within the business space. And I've written mm -hmm. three business books, but Google isn't showing them. So part of what we do at Canicube is to educate Google about who he is today. And so basically, we provide Google with the information that allows it to fully understand that the children's books were a past career, like my blue dog was a past career. Yes. And his current career is very much around business books. And so we promote those books to the top. The other books still exist, but they're only they're lower down. And for the blue dog, for example, if you search my name, Jason Barnard, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D, you'll see that the blue dog is still on the brand SERP. You'll still see the blue dog but he doesn't take up very much space because yeah. he's not relevant today. That's crucial for Google. And it's crucial for us as authors, business people, entrepreneurs, whatever it is we do in life, is to make sure Google's representing who we are today because we all have a history and our histories are all mix and match and changing. And mm -hmm. the current situation is what we want our audience to see, or I would imagine. So Jason, I know you came prepared like that. Okay. I'm going to be chewing on that one for a while. You know, sometimes when you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, there's a lot of things you've heard kind of over and over and over again. And I like it when something new comes to me that I can kind of think on and ponder on and, you know, mm. how do I then implement it? So 
what I'd love for you to share next is, you know, what are some actionable things that, you know, my audience of entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches can do to start improving their Google SERP? Right. Great question, because the, the first thing is to identify entities. And that sounds really complicated, but it isn't. You've got to disassociate yourself from your company. If you have a company, that's one thing, and you yourself are another, and you own the company, even if it's only you in the company, it doesn't matter. It's two different things. And you need to educate Google about who the company is, what that company does, and which audience that company serves, who you are, what you do, and which audience you serve. And obviously, the audiences and the topicality are going to be very similar, but you need to identify that it's two different entities. That's number one. Number two is to make, make sure that those entities have a home. And what we're calling entity home is somewhere the entity lives online, page that is controlled by the entity, the person or the company. And Google is actively looking for that page online that explains who you are, what you do, and which audience you serve. And there you can explain to Google the facts, what your priorities are, which are the books you want to put at the top of the Google search mm-hmm. results. You put them at the top of your page. This is current. And then you go down backwards through your life to the bottom, which is least current, i.e. in the past, right at the bottom. And Google will look at that and it will go around the web and it will find all the corroborative sources that prove what you're saying. And at that point, it will believe you. So it just doesn't just believe you because you say it, but it wants your version of the story. And then it will check. And if your story checks out, you'll get a great brand SERP. Okay, so how would someone go about doing that? And I realize there's probably a lot of technical stuff, but is there something that like very practically, like say, you know, I wanted to kind of do that. Would there be a step? Like, is there a place that I can go to kind of do that? Or what would you you suggest? Right. Well, in fact, if you go to calicube.com, you'll see that we have a vast amount of free information. Mm. We don't we don't keep secrets. We share all of this with everybody because our philosophy is every person and every company who has any kind of digital presence needs to look after their brand SERP. And we can't possibly serve them all. So we might as well share how we do it. And then those who want to do it, who want to spend the time learning and look after it themselves, you're welcome. And for those who don't and want us to do it, we'll do it for you. Um, if you've got a particularly difficult problem, we you'll probably need our help. But basically, if you have that entity home and you explain very clearly who you are, what you do, and which audience you serve, and what your priorities are of what you want Google to show, if it checks out, as I said, it will show that. And you don't need to be geeky. It can be a one-page website. Yeah, We, we currently use Duda. Duda is really simple to use. It's a really great platform. I used to use WordPress. WordPress can get geeky and complicated very quickly. Duda is simply not complicated. Wix is another good one. So Duda or Wix, create yourself a one-page website. You can put that up in a couple of hours. doesn't need any technical skills. And then if you think you need to be geeky, we've got a guy called G. Scott Graham who came for one hour of consultancy with me. I told him exactly what he needed to do. We recorded the consultancy session. I sent in the recording with a transcript. He executed everything that I told him to do. And he went from no knowledge panel to a brilliant knowledge panel with his books, with his social media profiles, with the description, with his photos. And it was really simple. And he didn't write one line of code. It was great photos, great description, and linking out to all the sources that corroborate what he was saying on his entity home. Simple. So the knowledge panel, that's the the sort of the overall content, 
like your websites, your... The brand SERP is the whole result. Mm -hmm. But on desktop, if you look at Google results, you'll see there's a left rail, left-hand side and a right-hand side. The left-hand side is the blue links, video boxes, things like that. That's Google's suggestions and recommendations. On the right-hand side, you'll see an information box. That's the Mm -hmm. facts according to Google. So the knowledge panel is part of the brand SERP, and it's Google's understanding of the facts. Okay. So having that makes you look incredibly credible, if I can say incredibly credible, because (laughs) Google has understood you and is validating who you say you are. And it's basically Google's stamp of approval. This person is an authority. This person is important. This person is worth looking for. And if you don't have one when somebody Googles your, your personal name, you should get one. Okay. Sorry, okay. I mean, I'm terrible, terrible. You should do this. I shouldn't be giving advice. I have a friend who every time I say you should do this, he gets really upset. He said, no, what you mean is I could do that and you advise me to do it. It's not something I should do. And it's the idea that it's an absolute. It's a piece of advice. This is something you could do and it would be a very good idea. Okay, let's put it this way. If if you want people to Google you and see, want them to see, then should <laughs> do these hope, things. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope my friend Hugo isn't listening. <laughs> you know what? We all have choices, right? Yep. But I think, you know, when you are that authority, when you are that expert, I think there are times you need to use the word should. Because right. if you want to get the results, then there's things that you have to do, mm. you should do. And if you don't and you don't see the results, well, you know, you and I can have this conversation. And if I don't do anything about what we're talking about today, I can't come back to you and say, oh, it didn't work because I didn't do what I should have done. Yeah, I, I think because it affects Hugo's sensibilities, I think, well, I better be careful about it in general. But in fact, you're right. You know, as an expert, as you said, if you want your Google business card to look great, if you want Google stamp of approval, if you want to look credible and authoritative when somebody Google's your name, you should work on your entity home and you should write a clear description and you should have the photos and you should have that bio that shows what's important right at the top. And it really is simple. I mean, what I find astonishing is what I'm teaching and what I'm talking about is so simple. Anybody can do it. You go to caddycube.com, you look in the learning resources, everything is there and it's free. And it's free. I love and, free. And there is the, the, for us, the idea of saying, if you really want to geek out, we've got courses and you can buy courses and, and you can learn from me. We've got 12 hours of video lessons about all the details and all the technical stuff. And, and, and you can really get into the, the, the meat of the whole question and really understand it. But you don't need to understand it in order to do it. And that was something I made a mistake with a few years ago is I wanted everybody to understand the why. And in fact, people only want to know, what do I need to do? So I'm focusing much more on the how, and calicube.com explains the how. It also explains the why, but you don't need to read the why, so you have the choice. Whereas if you're going to take the courses, you're going to get a lot of why this is the case, because it will help you to understand better why you're doing things and how to expand it and apply it to different case scenarios. That is awesome. So we're going to switch gears here a little bit. You said you're writing a book. So I'm going to give you the question that I give to every person who's either working on their book or has finished their book. So the question is this, what has been the good, the bad, 
and the ugly of your process so far? Right. Well, I'll talk about the, the first book, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, was I thought I was being very clear. And I got some help from a real writer called Emily Bartdorf, who rewrote it. And it didn't make any sense. And I read it and I thought, but I didn't say that. And she had misunderstood. And it wasn't that she wasn't clever. She is very clever. It was that I hadn't explained it clearly. And I hadn't been able to put myself at everybody else's level in terms of not intelligence, but understanding of the situation, understanding of Google. And that taught me an incredibly valuable lesson about not overestimating your audience and not underestimating your audience, obviously, either. But you have to understand what level your audience is at and write at that level. And it's very difficult to do. For me, there are so many things that are obvious that I think that's not even worth explaining. And Emily would say to me, you have to explain it like what is a knowledge panel, for example, because if people don't understand what it is, they won't understand a word of what you're saying. So that was an incredibly valuable lesson. And that's why it took six months. I think I now do a better job. But the, 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 the second point that I'm starting to realize is that I shouldn't be scared of repeating myself. And what I've noticed by reading the newspaper, for example, is you read an article about the American elections and they will repeat little sentences that repeat something I'd read a week ago. And I think, well, I already know that. And I now realize that they need to do that for people who hadn't read that article. And the fact that I had read the article, I just skipped through the sentence very quickly. So as long as they're not overly heavy with the explanation, you don't go into de detail. They just say, this happened last month. Click here to learn more or a link through to the full article. You don't need to be scared about repeating yourself because you need to keep people on board. And the idea that I said something in chapter one and the person gets to chapter 12 and they still remember exactly what I said in one particular sentence in chapter one is a foolish mistake. And that repeating... As said in chapter one, the knowledge panel is the information box on the right. Then it reminds them they can go back to chapter one to read that. And we don't bore people who did remember it, but we keep people on board who didn't necessarily remember it or skip the chapter completely. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that, you know, repetition in a book, again, balanced yeah. repetition in a book. <laughs> I've worked with some of my clients who some of our clients, we write their books and some of their clients we work with them, you know, after they've written their book. And one thing that I had noticed in a lot of the clients' books that had been, they had already written, there was too much repetition. Right. Okay. So they were repeating the same thing almost every chapter. Like it, it got very obvious. So there is a balance to repetition in your writing. I think it's a good thing, mm. you know, too little, it's not effective too much. And the people are like, seriously, I just, did I yeah. not read this like same exact sentence? Like, last? yeah, I suppose actually the word I should have used is reminder. Yes. And it's the same thing, but a reminder is not, wait, it is and it isn't the same thing. It is repetition, but it's minimal it's repetition. It's the same idea worded differently. Yeah. And, and kept very short. So yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I was speaking about my particular topic, which is actually very geeky. So you need to keep people on board and need to be sure that people, as you're reading, you don't remember and digest everything. That was something I learned when I was doing the Blue Dog and Yellow Koala, because we were learning how to make flash animations, websites, run a huge server. And then we did a TV series. And what I realized after a while is I would be really stressed out because I didn't understand how to do something. And once I gave myself a little bit of leeway and said, well, I'll, I'll keep working. And in two weeks or three weeks, it will all drop into place. 
and yeah. don't put pressure on myself. And I think that's one of the things in learning that people forget is you're not going to understand everything today. Even if you've read it all, you need to digest, reread, see other information, see other perceptions of how that can be said, and it will drop into place. I we get frustrated. Brancer, you're not going to understand everything at first. So you just start with the basics. Get the basics and don't worry about trying to get everything Google wants. Just yep. start working towards having Google see what you want to see because it's going to be a process anyway. It's not yep. your Google's not going to change overnight. It's going to change over a period of time. So just start yep. working on it. And and to give you an idea of the timeline, you'll you'll start to see changes in a week if you mm-hmm. change your your own web page which is ranking. That will change in a week. You will start to change, see a change in structure in about three months if you work diligently and you will begin to feel that you have control after a year. So those are your timelines. A few, a few weeks to see some nice changes where you're starting to think, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. After three months, you'll start to see the design. Let's say the design of your Google business card is changing and becoming something closer to what you want and it's representing you more accurately. And after a year of good, solid work, you will have a brand SERP that represents you and that you more or less control. Wow. Wow. We could keep talking all day, but... We could, we could. We we have come to the end of the show. Jason, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your knowledge with us. Just before we go, you talked about CaliCube. Is there any other places that people can go to personally connect with you? Yeah, yeah. I, this is a lovely question that I enjoy greatly because if you want to connect with me, search my name, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D, Jason Barnard, and Google will present you not only with my Google business card, but with your, or, or sorry, a choice of where you can connect with me and how you want to connect with me, which means that I don't impose it on you. So what you will see is my knowledge panel with the facts, my website, number one, Twitter, number two, maybe my company website, if you want to do business, number three, LinkedIn, if you want to connect on LinkedIn, that's kind of B2B, Twitter's more fun. My own website would be if you wanted to know more about me as a human being. You've got my YouTube channel, you've got my articles on Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Land. And as you can see, I've described these different ways that you can engage with me through the videos, the articles, my personal life, my business or just learn about me factually from the knowledge panel. It's up to you. And I think that is the secret of a great brand set. Thank you so much, Jason. I have appreciated just having you on here and getting to hear your knowledge. So this has been Jason Barnard and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.